Hey, Seacoast, it's the week after Easter. Didn't we have a great week last week? I loved it. The energy, the excitement, the people. Jesus was glorified. And uh, this weekend I'm excited because uh, as our guest, we have one of my friends, Brady Boyd. Uh, Brady has been with us before uh, last year uh, and uh, just did an incredible job. He's the pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Great church that uh, really is reaching thousands of people uh, for the cause of the kingdom. In fact, I'm there this week. We did a little pastoral exchange uh, the week after Easter. So I want you to do this. I want you to give a big Seacoast welcome to Brady Boyd as he comes uh, today to minister to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's so good to be with you here in warm South Carolina. So I got here. It's very warm here, by the way, considering where I'm from. So good to have Pastor Greg at New Life this morning. He came last year as well. We love him. Our church is a part of the ARC uh, church planting movement. We've planted several churches through ARC and feel like a kindred heart when Pastor Greg is with us. And so, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. You ever figured that out? So you're stuck with New Life. We're part of the family now, so you're just stuck with us. I apologize for that, but we, we feel honored to be a part of the ARC family, a part of this family, and uh, thank you, Pastor Josh, for hosting this weekend, and, and thanks for letting your dad come out to New Life. We love him, and by the way, he, he's a big you know, Bronco fan, Colorado guy, so I told him, come out here, breathe in some of that Colorado air, and he'll be much better when he comes back here with Colorado air in his lungs. So I got here Friday. Can I tell you a quick story? I got here Friday, and it's cloudy. 55, dead of winter for you guys, you know. So, <laughs> and so, so I'm coming from Colorado. By the way, Tuesday, we already have blizzard warnings uh, for this coming Tuesday. So it's going to be a high of like 12 when I get back. So I'm in shorts and a T-shirt out for a walk, and there's people bundled up in like hoodies and parkas walking, looking at me like I'm crazy. But uh, I thought it was summer. I thought it was great. The dead, I love the summer weather you're having here. So it's all a matter of perspective, right? So it's the Sunday after Easter. Now what do we do? You know, that's a good question, right? I mean, we just heard last Sunday, I'm making a big assumption, but I know y'all made a big fuss about the resurrection last Sunday, right? Let's make a big fuss about it today, too. How about that? Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So turn in your Bible, open your Bible up to Luke 24, and I want to show you a conversation that Jesus had with two people on a road to Emmaus. They, Jesus had already gone through the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And you know, what, you know what the odd part of this story? I know some of you have heard this story many, many times. I mean, some of you have never heard this story. By the way, hello to all the campuses around the area. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Glad to be a guest at your church as well. But this is what's fascinating about this story. Jesus is about to go out of his way to have a conversation with what seemingly is two very ordinary people. The, the person's name is Cleopas. We don't really ever hear the name of the second person. Some Bible scholars believe that this is a husband and a wife that's walking back to their house to Emmaus. And the reason people believe that it was a husband and a wife is because they go back to the same home that, together. And so it's possible that a, a married couple has been in Jerusalem for the very first Easter weekend, if you want to call it that. They, they very well could have witnessed the crucifixion. They certainly had heard firsthand reports from the disciples that the tomb was indeed empty. But it didn't have the same effect on them that it had on everyone else in Jerusalem. And I, so I, as a pastor, I'm going to make an assumption, another assumption in here this morning. I believe that when we hear the true story 
of the resurrection of Christ, that it has different effects on different people. For some of us, when we heard that story the first time, it radically changed our lives. I mean, it radically changed the way we were living. It changed the way we were engaging with others. And it, something came alive inside of us, and it's always been, it's been on fire ever since. For others, it's more like, a, instead of a microwave, it's more like a crock pot. You know, it's, it's kind of a slow cook, a slow burn inside of us. The realization that Jesus is alive, that means different things to different people. Here's the good news, though. Here's the bottom line. Jesus has grace and patience for every one of us, no matter where we are on this journey. But the, at the end of the day, here's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, a mind to believe, and a heart to really receive him as resurrected Christ. So I want you to look at, at, the, at the great links that Jesus goes to, to come alongside two ordinary people on an ordinary afternoon headed back to a very ordinary hometown. And Luke chapter 24, let's pick up the story here in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's a common area, not far, a suburb of Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And, and as they talked and discussed, now that's interesting, that's, that sounds a little like, that's very benign language in the NIV, but the Greek language, uh, talked and discussed, it's language that they're debating, discussing, the, the tension in the discussion's high. I mean, they're arguing even, but it's very fierce discussion back and forth. They're debating. And said so they were talked and discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is another strange thing in this story because these people had seen Jesus. They had probably listened to him teach. They, we, they, we don't know this for a fact, but quite possibly they saw him at the crucifixion. They knew, who, they were aware of the person of Jesus, though. But it says here they were kept from recognizing him. Mark chapter 16 says, when it tells this story, that it says that Jesus appeared in a different form. So I don't want to uh, confuse anyone. He didn't show up like as a ghost. But remember that when Jesus came out of the tomb, when he was spotted in the garden, one of the, one of the people who saw him after the resurrection thought he was the gardener. They didn't recognize him either. So some scholars believe that Jesus had enough of his physical, uh, original body intact, but because of the resurrection effect upon his body, that there was something different. There, you certainly, if you would have looked at him long enough, you probably would have found out that, that, yes, this is the Jesus that we once knew, but the resurrection it had such an effect on his body that there was enough things different about him to throw you off just a little bit. So Jesus walks alongside these two ordinary people and is about to have a fascinating conversation with these two. Let's keep going, verse 17. And so he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. They were discouraged, heavy-hearted, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, and I love Jesus being a little coy here, you know, Jesus is kind of baiting them, and Jesus is kind of messing with them a little bit, and he goes, uh, what are you talking about? I, I really, I don't know what you're talking about. What things? And he said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, and the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21 is very critical to the story, and I think it's the reason that Jesus was walking with them that day. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What a fascinating thing to say. Now listen, let's, let's remind ourselves, 
They knew Jesus had died. They had just received first-hand reports from the women who went to the tomb and the disciples. They had had first-hand reports. Hey, Jesus is not in that tomb, just as he said he would not be in that tomb. Jesus is quite possibly resurrected. Jesus has overcome death. He's not in that tomb. But listen to what their response was. Their response was their faces were downcast, and they're walking back to their hometown. Now, it's interesting that their hometown was a place called Emmaus. It would, it was, it would have been very dangerous for them to stay in Jerusalem during this time. Because they were probably, admittedly, followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus were under threat of arrest, even persecution and death. And that was a dangerous place. But Jesus, Jesus was there. He had, he had died. All of his disciples were there. And that was the dangerous, risky place. So they had decided, because Jesus had not worked it out the way they thought he was supposed to work it out, they were going to go back to their safe, familiar hometown. The predictable place of their hometown. And they're walking with their faces downcast after hearing the news of the resurrection. It's one thing for them to be discouraged if they'd only known that Jesus had died. But they knew that Jesus had died and they also knew that he had been resurrected and they were still discouraged. I think there's it's a possibility, a strong possibility. Some of you watching online, some of you watching on the campuses may have walked into this room this morning and you've heard the historical fact that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. That's historically proven. And it's a spiritual, historical, physical fact that Jesus came out of the tomb, that he, he, he's now ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He, is, he, is come, he has a kingdom that has no end. He established a church on an immovable rock. And yet those facts have not caused you to live any differently. And maybe you walked in here today disappointed in the way Jesus has worked out a few things in your lives. And they said, we, we're, we thought that Jesus would come and redeem Israel. You know what they were saying? We thought that Jesus would, would lead a liberating army into Israel and rid us of this Roman oppression, established a temple as the worship site around the world, and we would have a thousand years of peace and prosperity. But it has not worked out that way. Instead, Jesus went to a bloody cross and died. And then he went, they buried him. And now there's reports that he's not there anymore and he might possibly be alive. But this is not working out the way we thought, and so we're going back to our predictable, safe life. That's where they were headed, back to Emmaus. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I want you to fill in the blank, okay? Here's the question. I want every one of you either write it down or, or say it out loud or say it, say it to your heart, but I want you to fill in this blank, okay? Dear God, I greatly desire, and I want you to fill in that blank with something that only God could do. So don't put fried chicken for dinner because you can do that for yourself, all right? So I greatly desire tacos. That's not what I'm asking, all right? So I greatly desire, and that, the, the blank should be filled in with something that only God could do. It, it would be a miracle in your life if that happened. Now think about what you're going to put in that box. In fact, I want you to ask for something audacious, bold, full of faith. Dear God... I greatly desire, then fill in the blank. If they would have filled in the blank, these Cleopas and the person walking, they would have said, we greatly desire to be free from Roman oppression, and to be, have a, a thousand years of peace and prosperity in Israel, but it's not working out that way. So be, um, know this, whatever you fill in that blank is important because it's going to reveal something in your heart. I greatly desire what? A few years ago, Pam and I, we would have said, my wife Pam and I, we would have put two things in that blank. We would have said, we want children, 
because we were biologically not able to have kids. The doctors told us it was impossible. And then number two, we, we, we were, at the time, we were living out in West Texas, in Amarillo. Now, if, for those of you who know West Texas, the end of the earth is three miles outside of Amarillo. <laughs> Literally, you drive out there, it's a big bottomless abyss, and the, the world ends right there at the end of, right at three miles outside of Amarillo. I don't know if you, it's a geological fact. So uh, that's where Pam and I were living. Our home state, we grew up, born and raised in Louisiana. So my wife is an LSU grad, I went to Louisiana Tech, so we we're all were from Louisiana. We were born and raised in Louisiana. And my job at the time, I was not in pastoral ministry, but my job at the time had taken me out in the middle of nowhere, and, and the, the, out there is where we found, the doctors told us out in West Texas, you're, you're not going to have kids. There's just, you, both of you, you're not going to have children. So our hearts were broken and heavy, and, and when you're going through a heartbreak like that, you want to be close to family, right? You want to be comforted by, all, both of our parents live back in Louisiana, our brothers and sisters live back in Louisiana, all of our close friends live back in Louisiana, we had a great church back in Louisiana, and so because our hearts were broken and we're a young married couple, we said to God, Lord, would you, number one, we, we want children, but number two, we want to move back to Louisiana. And literally within a few weeks after praying that prayer, I got a phone call from a company 20 minutes away from my hometown offering me a job making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I was in my late 20s at the time, and it was more money than I'd ever made with great benefits tremendous opportunity. I remember sitting in the little house there in Amarillo uh, around the bar area, and I'm, he's talking to me on the phone and making me the offer, and I'm writing out the offer, and Pam's looking over my shoulder, and I'm writing out the, all the things that he's offering me, and Pam's eyes are big, my eyes are big, and, and, and right before I hung up, I told the guy, I said, listen, my wife and I are Christ followers, so give us 24 hours. We, I, I'm almost sure the answer is yes, but we want to pray about this, sleep on this, and I'll call you in the morning. He goes, okay, great, Brady. And I hung up the phone, and I went, we, almost, I remember us yelling, like, yeah, this is God. We're going to go move back to Louisiana 20 minutes from our hometown, making great money, and, and get back to our normal routines. We're going to walk back to Emmaus where everything's comfortable, predictable, and safe. That had to be God's will, right? So I told Pam, I said, Pam, I'm going to go out for a walk. I'm going to pray about that. I just want to go out, clear my head. I need to go for a walk. And I, a lot of times, my prayer time is when I'm out walking. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a walk. Now, I, most of the time, I don't let the facts stand in the way of a good story. But today, listen, what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, okay? If I ever get to come back, you can be a little suspicious. But today, these stories are absolutely true, all right? I'm not embellishing for the sake of a good sermon. All right, so... And Pat, y'all don't do that here, do you? All right, okay. I didn't think so. Y'all have y'all's pastors have more integrity than I. Okay, so, all right. So li literally, I stepped off the front porch, and here's what the Lord said to me: No. I've never had God yell at me, but He yelled at me, and I said, God, would you let me ask the question first? I mean, let me ask a question before you yell at me. And he, here's the conversation I have with the Lord. He said, Brady, the answer is no. But here's, here's the caveat he gave me, and I think it's the same thing. I think it's going to be helpful for some of you today. Here's what he said to me. He said, Brady, if you go back to Louisiana, I will bless you because I know you love me and I love you. So it's not that you're going to be in sin because I understand your desire to go back to your home. He said, but Brady, if you will trust me and believe me in the things that you cannot see right now, there's a greater blessing if you'll stay here and trust me. I said, well, what is it that, what is it that you got better from me? He goes, I can't tell you. That's just, that's how God, this is, God's not being cruel here. God's testing us if we'll trust him and believe him. And I remember five minutes later, which is normally how long my walks last, I walk back in, you know, to, 
no surprise to Pam, but I'm back in five minutes. But she said, she said uh, so Brady, what did what, you hear when you were out praying? And I said, the Lord said no. She goes, what? So now i got Pam yelling at me. i got have God yelling at me. And listen, men, you know this. We don't know the difference between those two voices sometimes. Our wife's voice and God's voice sounds very similar. Amen, right, guys? So I don't know who's yelling. It's Pam's mad. God's mad. Everyone, everybody important to me is mad at me right now, okay? I said, Pam, I, I don't know why, but the Lord said no. I mean emphatically. And, and she said, I said, just pray about it for yourself, and, and we'll talk about this. She went away about an hour later, came back, tears in her eyes. She said, I don't know what's going on, but we got to call our parents and tell them we're not coming home. That was in March. And I remember March and April and May and most of June, God went completely silent on us. Now, we had to call that guy back and tell him I can't take the job. We had to call our parents and tell them we're not coming home. We're staying out here in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, and we don't know why. Now, you, you, all of you parents that have kids, you know, you know what you're thinking. Yeah, my kid's kind of doing that too. I don't know what the heck's going on with them. I know. But I remember this. I remember God just going silent. And then one day, in the middle of my work day, a pastor from the church that we attended called us and said, hey, would you and Pam come meet me in my office? I want to talk to you about it. Someone wants to meet you, and I want to talk to you. So we got there that afternoon, we walked in, and in his office was a, a woman who was six months pregnant, obviously pregnant. She's a strong Texas woman. Here's what she says. She said, yesterday when I was push mowing my front yard, <laughs> Texas women, and like South Carolina women, right? And um, so she said, uh, the Lord spoke to me that this baby I'm carrying, I'm supposed to give it to you and Pam to raise. Would you pray about that? And we said, sure, we'll pray about it. Yes. Now, Abram's 14 years old now. We went, went to the hospital when she had that baby. We took him home from the hospital. Abram, uh, Abram's birth father is a nuclear physicist, so it's uh, very uh, apparent right now that he's not my biological son when you're around him. <laughs> like, they look at him and look at me and they go. And then two years later, a single mom who was going to college, 19 years old, uh, came to us two years later and said, I've got a, she was nine months pregnant. She said, I, I want to go back to school. I can't go to school carrying this baby, but I'm, I've chosen to give this baby life. Would you take this baby? And Pam and I have been praying for eight or nine years for a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. Now, seriously, that's how we prayed. And today, I have a 12-year-old waiting for me at home tonight. She's got red curly hair and blue eyes. She is drop-dead gorgeous, five foot seven, 12-year-old, who uh, is, I'm open to scholarship offers from the University of South Carolina <laughs> or Clemson. But she's beautiful. And I've, I've often thought, Pam and I have often thought, what if we had taken that job and gone back to Louisiana? Would we have, could God have given us kids through other avenues? Sure, there's kids that need adopting in Louisiana too. But it probably wouldn't have been Abram and Callie. There really was something, there was a greater blessing for trusting the Lord to fill in that blank in his way and not my way. Maybe Isaiah, when he prophesied about Jesus, had it right. His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts. So I want to say something to you this morning. When you filled in that blank, are you willing to trust God to do it in his way, in his timing, in a way maybe that you've not imagined? Because this is what Jesus was trying to set straight with this couple. You imagined that I was going to come and do things the way you thought I should do them, to set everything right in your life according to your design and your plan. But I've got a better way if you will learn to trust me, if you will have eyes to see and ears to hear a mind to understand and a heart to really believe, I've got a better way that's going to end up blessing you more than you can possibly imagine.
So when you filled in that blank, can you trust God with that? Let's keep reading here because the story gets better. Skip down to uh, verse 25. I like the way Jesus uh, kind of beats around the bush with this couple. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now, you know you've had that conversation with God, right? The same conversation. How foolish you are. He said, verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And listen to this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, notice what Jesus does here. This is on purpose, and we need to see this today. Jesus could have just said, hey, Jedi, move. Here, I'm Jesus. Look at me, I'm Jesus. Instead, what he does is he said, let me open up the scriptures to you and show you. Now, why is that important for us to see today? Because, see, this morning, we're reading the scriptures together. And what you have in front of you is not just ink and paper. In fact, Hebrews says that the scriptures are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, able to reveal the motives of our hearts. These scriptures are continuously articulate. The scriptures are always speaking. And so in order for us to see Jesus, to understand the person of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, we have to have these scriptures in front of us. The scriptures are important for us today. They're living, active. And it's through the scriptures that we see Jesus. It's through the scriptures that our hope is restored. It's through the scriptures that our eyes are open, our ears are open. Everything comes alive because of these continuously articulate scriptures. But Jesus goes a bit further. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, this is a very traditional, it's customary, like it is in the Deep South. You don't send people out uh, in the middle of the night without offering them to stay at your house. We still do that in the South, I know that. We don't do it out North because it's too dangerous, but here you are nice people, so we invite people to stay. And, uh, and then and you always offer them, and I, I grew up in the Deep South, so what I love about the South is always food involved in everything, right? And the, all, the whole day is revolved around food, and I love that. I gain weight every time I come here, and I enjoy it. So when you, when you come here, this is traditional in the Middle East as well. It was very rude to send uh, even strangers out into the night without offering them a place to stay and food to eat. So it was common to welcome strangers into your home as a guest. But Jesus didn't come into their home to be a guest. I want you to watch this. Jesus goes from being the guest to the host. And in verse 30, he says, when he's at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. That's not the role of the, host, of, of, of the guest. That's the role of the host. Jesus comes into their home not to be their guest. He came into their home to take over. Let me just say this. Some of you are, are on a journey right now trying to discover who this Jesus is. And I'm grateful you're on that journey. But I want to tell you how it's going to end. Jesus has not come to be a bumper sticker on the back of our car, a cute saying on our refrigerator. Jesus has not come to be a guest. Jesus has come to be Lord, Master, Savior. Jesus doesn't want to move in with you and just be there to be a polite guest. Jesus is there to switch roles with you. What you're trying to lead right now, he wants to take over. And by the way, he's better at it than we are. Jesus has come not just to be a, a safe guest. Jesus has come to be Lord, master. And Jesus is modeling something here. And then notice that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it away. Now Luke tells this story three times using this language. 
The first time that Luke uses this language was when he fed the 5,000. Jesus took the, the bread that, that was available to the crowd. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Just a few nights earlier, at the Last Supper, the Passover Supper with his disciples, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and handed it to his disciples and said, this is a sign of a new covenant that's about to happen. Now, here he is post-resurrection with an ordinary couple in an ordinary town, a discouraged couple of believers. Jesus comes into their home and turns the table on them and says, I'm not here to be a guest, I'm here to be a, your host. And he takes the bread, he blesses it, breaks it, and hands it to them. And notice what happens here. Notice what happens, very important. He says, then, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? You see, this is what happens, and I love the fact that you guys come to the Lord's table every Sunday. We do that at New Life now, too. We come to the table every Sunday, not as a, some kind of religious ritual, but as an act of faith that we believe Christ is resurrected. By participating in the bread and the cup today, you're doing more than just going through a religious ritual or tradition. What you're participating in today, again, is the pronouncement, the proclamation for both for yourself and for the world, that Christ is alive. It's, it's not just to remember him, it's to proclaim him. I proclaim today by taking the bread and taking the cup, by listening to the scriptures, I proclaim to myself and to all the watching world that Christ is alive, that Christ wants to make himself known to us even today. That's what you're doing by coming to the table. You're making a bold proclamation to yourself and to the world that this Christ that we're worshiping is alive, speaking, living among us, in us, and through us. And then notice what happens. Okay, here's how the story ends. It's a great ending, and most people, I've never seen this as I've read this story, and I've read this story hundreds of times, but look at verse 33. It says, they got up at once, I mean, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, why is that interesting? Remember, it's nighttime, and the road between Emmaus and Jerusalem was a dangerous place at night. And the most dangerous city in the world at the time was Jerusalem, especially if you were a Christ follower. So instead of waiting in the morning to the morning when it was safer, the moment they realized that Christ really is alive, that the resurrection is true, that he cares about me, that he wants to live in and through me, they got up and walked back in the middle of the night to the most dangerous town on a dangerous road. They were back into the adventure that God had called them to. They should have never left Jerusalem. They should have stayed there with those other disciples, waiting on the promised Holy Spirit that was about to come at Pentecost. They got up and got right back into the path that God had called them to. You see, I believe that many of us are living safe, predictable lives because we think God is safe and predictable. I just want you to know that our God is untamed. He's bigger, more powerful, more fascinating than any of us could imagine. And I'm here today to challenge you a bit. I want to challenge you with this thought. I don't think we know everything about God. I want to confess to you right now, I don't know everything about God. I don't know everything about Jesus. I'm still discovering things about God and about Jesus. And it's the mystery of what I don't know about them that causes me to worship. 
And I'm, I'm a bit concerned with the people in my church and the people I meet who think they've got God all figured out. Because if you've gotten God all figured out, then we have reduced him down to a tamed human form. And if that's what he is, he's not God and he's not worthy of worship. It's the mystery of God. It's what we don't know about God that causes us to embrace that mystery and to pursue him. You don't have God all figured out, I can promise you. He's way too fascinating, and he's, you cannot tame God. You can't reduce him down to a set of theological talking points. You can't reduce him down to a, a set of beliefs, although I do have sound beliefs, and I do have sound theology, and I do believe in the absolutes of Scripture. That's no question. I just don't know everything about the nature of God. He's way too fascinating. And I'm going to spend, by the way, I think I'm going to spend the first billion years of heaven untangling peeling off layer after layer of this fascinating God that I worship today on the earth because he is much bigger than I am. He's more fascinating than we can imagine. And if you believe that, this will cause you to be bold, audacious. It'll cause you to charge ahead and to do the great thing. If you think God is great, you'll do great things. If you think God is tame and benign, you'll live ordinary lives. Notice that when they see who Jesus is, they leave the safe, ordinary place, and they head back to the dangerous, risky, adventurous place that they should have never left. They go back to Jerusalem. And listen to what they say. Here's the last thing I say, and then I'm finished. Verse 34, they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and they said, it is true. Notice the exclamation point. Before this, all of their language, their tone had been very measured, their downcast face, their discouraged hearts. Suddenly, because they saw who Jesus was, they run back to the eleven and say, It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, who's Peter. And then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All right, so let me ask you this. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And then we're going to worship together some more. And you're going to have an opportunity to go to the table, the cross, for prayer, light candles, all those things. Can I ask you a really hard question that I want you to think about today and maybe even talk about at lunch today? And I'm, I'm especially talking to those of you who are like me. I've been following the Lord a long time. And I've read this story. I know how, I, before I even started reading this story, I know how this story ends. I know how the resurrection story ends. I know how every story ends. I, it, pick out a story in the Bible, I'll tell you how it ends. I can tell you all the facts and data about every story in the Bible. I can't. That doesn't mean I've seen everything. Doesn't mean I've heard everything. Let's separate facts and data from revelation. What I'm hoping for this morning is not that you came here and I, hey, I learned some facts and data about the road to Emmaus. Interesting facts. Okay, that's good. It's good to be taught. But that's my, not my goal here this morning. My goal is that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you see Jesus in a way you've never seen him today. That maybe something about Jesus is revealed to you today. Maybe your hearts are burning inside of you right now and you, there's a desire to see Jesus fresh and new. And maybe you're on the road to Emmaus, back to the ordinary life that's safe and predictable and God's about to do a 180 in you and send you back to the place of adventure and risk and mystery. That just seems like more fun to me. Adventure and risk and mystery. Seems like that would wake me up every morning and get me fired up. Safe, predictable, and ordinary I can take a season of that. I just can't go long like that. I get bored. Can we pray that this morning, that you, that you see Jesus in a way you've never seen him this morning? Would you just close your eyes for a moment and say, ask, and pray that's a very dangerous prayer, what you're about to pray, though. Let me just say that to you. 
Lord, I pray today. Can we pray, Father, we come to you this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. I pray you'd give us ears to hear. I pray that we'd have a, a mind, a brain to really understand who you are. Father, I pray more importantly that we would have hearts that really believe you. Really believe that you're resurrected, that you're alive, praying for us today. And Lord, we come now, Lord, with empty hands to a table that you've prepared for us. Lord, we can't do anything but receive today as we come to your table. And as we come to your cross, as we come, Lord, for prayer, we come empty-handed but alive. Empty-handed but alive in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.